the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow underway. The Friday edition. We've made it. Big show plan, like always. Andrew Brandt, Sports Business Insider. He's done everything from be the sports agent to be the, be the one inside of an NFL organization negotiating contracts on behalf of the team. He'll join us coming up in 20 minutes. Always a great combo there and plenty of topics to hit. Doug Greenberg from Front Office Sports is on today's program. He's also coming up later this hour to discuss uh, the latest uh, update on the gambling scandal and the investigation across the state of Iowa where more players have been named and involved in this and face criminal charges. We'll get to that coming up in the headlines. Plus, uh, Bernard Pollard, former NFL safety, always opinionated, he joins us in hour three. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Good to be here on a Friday. I uh, get back to softball coaching tonight. Nice. It's like it never even left. It's it like the season never even not. ended. Had about a month off and starting with a new team tonight. First practice, then a practice tomorrow. At there noon. is no offseason. Sure, it's going to be very nice and cool at noon tomorrow for that noon practice. Looking forward to that. And we've got four practices in five and six days coming up to get ready for the uh, grind of a fall ball season. So. Prepping for that mentally while I <laughs> prep for a great show with you. The uh, pre They're all speech. big. They're all great. We're going to do it all today. Uh, the, the big bets by Phil Mickelson, I don't know if they all turned out great, but that's where we start with the headlines because he says he didn't make the big bet. He never placed the big bet on the Ryder Cup, which was uh, a part of the excerpt from the new book from Billy Walters, the renowned uh, gambling expert. Uh, who says that Mickelson lost upwards of $100 million that he knows about. And he said he wagered up to a billion throughout his four or five-year uh, analysis that he was giving in this book from like 2011 to 2015. And specifically, there was an allegation that he called up Walters to make a $400,000 bet on the Ryder Cup in 2012 and, of course, Mickelson was a part of that team. It was betting on the United States in the Ryder Cup. Mickelson has now he's playing, I believe, this week on the, uh, Live Golf on the tour. And he's released this statement through Twitter. I never bet on the Ryder Cup. While it's well known that I always enjoy a friendly wager on the course, I would never undermine the integrity of the game. I've also been very open about my gambling addiction. I have previously conveyed my remorse, took responsibility, have gotten help, and have been fully committed to therapy that has positively impacted me, and I feel good about where I am now. That from Mickelson after the news came out from Billy Walters in his new book that he's releasing soon with all the backstories. This is how you respond to something right here. Like this tweet, this could be taught in PR classes across America. Just own what's already been owned, and if you have something to refute in an excerpt from a book or a report by someone, go ahead and, and do it with zero emotion involved and nothing else. I, I thought this was a great response from Phil Mickelson. There's not much more you can add to it when Phil himself says, yeah, I've gone well, to discuss at length my huge gambling problem, and I'm remorseful about it, and I'm in therapy, and I think I'm in a better place now than I was. So he's not denying that he lost $100 million. He's not denying that he bet over a billion dollars. But there is one part of what's being said about him that he says is not true. Well, part and of he's the story, he's, that. he's not denying part of the story from Billy Walters, which was Billy Walters said, yeah, I'm not going to take that bet. 
because do you realize what you're doing? Do you want to be Pete Rose? Because right now you're the Arnold Palmer of the tour currently. So he, Walters is claiming he never took the bet and that he presumed that he, Mickelson then turned around, picked up the phone and made a, a call to someone else. So while Mickelson is saying, I never bet on the Ryder Cup, he's not denying that he picked up the phone to make a bet on the Ryder Cup. That's what he's also not saying in this statement. I, I mean, you could weigh one side or the other. The, the numbers are outrageous to me. A billion dollars is what it is estimated that he would wager. He lost a, upwards of $100 million. Can you imagine, Chad? No, I mean, and think about I, what, he, what he's raking in. When I saw the billion that. dollars, I thought, well, he's not made a billion dollars. He's not. He doesn't have a billion dollars. And then you realize, oh, well, he's betting on things that he's won, or also money he did not have that equaled a billion dollars. He also clearly won a lot in yeah. gambling to have the billion dollars to wager at any point. He lost a hundred million, is what Walters is reporting. And yeah, he's not saying that everything he said is untrue. That I didn't try to place a bet or talk to him about a bet. He's saying I would never undermine the integrity of the game. Now, he left out the part where I had to be reminded of that by my buddy who's a, a world-class gambler to say <laughs> you don't want to do this, right? And then he thought, yeah, you're right. I, I would never undermine the game. And maybe he picked up the phone and called another guy. They said the same thing, and then Phil said, oh, even with this problem that I have, that's two people now that make their living gambling that are telling me not to do this. Maybe I won't. And then he had the realization – yeah, as bad of a gambler as I am and I can't stop, I won't do it on something I'm participating in. So maybe that's the case. Iowa and Iowa State have been the focus, uh, the subjects of the state of Iowa's ongoing gambling probe that continues, where more players have been named. And uh, on top of what we learned last month, or earlier this month, I should say, with Iowa State quarterback Hunter Deckers, who was charged with tampering after allegedly making 26 bets on Iowa State athletics, including a game for Iowa State football that he didn't play in, but he was on the team at the time. Four more Iowa State players have been charged, along with three more Iowa Hawkeyes. Two of those three have since transferred to other programs, including Oklahoma State, and the four Iowa State players that have been named have not been practicing currently for the, the football team there. But... They in include games, they bet on games in which they have played uh, for their university. So here we go again as more and more players get charged in the ongoing investigation across the state. Look, it's bad news for Iowa and Iowa State, so I don't want to make light of it because you don't want anything to hit at the integrity of any sport, especially sports that we love, like, like college football. And these guys made a huge mistake. This was not just, oh, I placed a couple bets on college football that did not involve my program. No, these are hundreds, in some case, thousands of bet, bets equaling tens of thousands of dollars that was wagered by some of these players based on the records they have. But I also can't help but point out the absolute comedy in the fact that even Iowa offensive players bet the under when the Iowa Hawkeyes were playing, much like the rest of us gamblers, whether you're betting a dollar or, like Phil Mickelson, $100 million, bet the under in Iowa Hawkeyes football games last year. They even knew when they got the game plan and saw five fullback trap plays. They said, yep, we're going under again today. <laughs> oh, uh, Coach Ferentz wants to have a four tight end set? Yep, we're definitely going the under this week. That, my friends, is absolutely hilarious. And I love that part of it. 
Crazy enough, the Iowa State running back who was their starter, one of the bets he placed was money line win for Texas against his team. They have no signs that he threw the game in any way. They won 30-7. to They were a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and he placed a bet on the other team to win in Texas. Hutton, this is like the ultimate example of hedging your happiness. If you're playing in the game and you're a favorite in the game and you end up whipping the team, that you bet money the other way. So at least if you lose the game in your Iowa State, you say, well, guys, that sucked, but I've got a 1000 more dollars now because I bet on Texas. It's a bad spot for, for college football and college athletics, Chad, because they, they've updated their gambling policy where now they, they can permanently ban a player for his eligibility based on this. But if you... Based I, on betting on an event with their own team. Or their university. They're all going to be banned, yeah, for good. Or, their, or a, a sport ongoing within the university. And it's, you know, it's tiered based on how much you gamble, how much you, you place. You know, the 800-plus fits this criteria. But I, I can't help but think, like, this is the state of Iowa investigation. Imagine if state by state you went through and did this. The, the issues that would be on top of the the table for for college football i mean college athletics in general so i'm not naive to think that this is just a iowa state iowa issue i mean where's northern iowa and drake by the way fcs programs are they not looking at them i haven't heard anything about the other football programs in the state compared to iowa iowa state again like th this reminds me a bit of you know we're getting the reports of the nfl players who are betting but we don't hear a, a thing about nba or major league baseball did this not also start uh, in some way with that same sports book in Cincinnati? Remember those the college baseball stuff that tied back to Iowa, Iowa State baseball, where they were immediately put on notice because of activity at this sports book. That, that, this was like the whistleblower. The unintentional whistleblower was the guy placing the bet yeah. for Alabama's head baseball coach at that sports book. Then they found other things, Cincinnati baseball became a part of it also. It became a big college baseball scandal. Imagine, then once they open the door to that, you start seeing the football programs involved as well. But imagine if you did the statewide probe in Ohio and Alabama based on that. I don't – I mean – You know what I mean? Is Alabama football strong enough to shut that down? Well, If they I, were to start looking into it? I mean, I, mean, again, I, I, I say that half-joking, but – yeah. Sure, there's got to be others across the country. It's Every, not just the state of Iowa everyone. that placed bets on – their sport. I don't know how many place bets on their own team to lose. I don't know if there's a lot of cases of people trying to throw games for gambling out there, but yeah. And I, I do think that the, a couple of the violations, I'll have to go back and double check. They bet on their sport and they bet on their university and other sports, but they're only subject to a half a season suspension. When you bet on your own team, I know it's automatic. You're banned. From the NCAA, but I do think that there are some that bet on like Iowa State basketball that's only in line for half a season suspension possibly. Yeah, and, and the other part of this too is uh, in many cases they're using their parents' account. Like they're not using their own account. Uh, in some cases they're under 21 while doing so and with the parents' uh, permission, you know, knowing that, that the guys were making those and placing those bets. That's the, where the records, tampering with records comes in to some of these charges. And some of the charges, I mean, carry a, a hefty, steep penalty. I don't know if it ever reaches that. But you know, that's why Hunter Deckers, through his attorney, said, yeah, he's not going to go to camp. He's not playing this year because we are going to focus on the defense 
which he is categorically denying, is going to fight whatever charges are out there instead of prepare for opposing defense week to week. Three years in prison for some of these charges. I doubt we see that with any of these, these people being accused of it, but that's pretty steep. And it's not a good look for college football if this thing continues to have tentacles that go outside the state of Iowa. Couple of uh, NFL preseason notes last night. The debut of CJ Stroud in a Houston Texans uniform did not go well. Maybe it's not all on him because for whatever reason, the Texans decided, well, we're not going, we're going to play our starting quarterback. We're not going to play our starting tackles, uh, Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard. We're also not going to play one of our starting guards in Shaq Mason. And the result is what you may expect. CJ Stroud was sacked a total of 13 times. Uh, at Ohio State, and here he is running for his life last night against the Patriots' defense. He was sacked once, could have been sacked many more times. He only played two series, threw a pick, wasn't pretty. And the result is, well, you look at a stat sheet compared to the decision that was placed to go forward with, you know, backup offensive linemen. These are the results that you get in his debut. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a rookie coaching mistake, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I chalk it up to... Unless they've got legitimate battles for starting positions. Yeah, D'Amico Ryan's just probably now would would have that happen and say, yeah, I I know what I was thinking about trying to get the new quarterback some work, but if I'm going to sit my offensive line, I need to sit the biggest investment in the franchise, which is our top pick at quarterback also. So you live and you learn. I'm not going to crush the guy. It's his first preseason game, but I would chalk this up to rookie NFL head coaching mistake. By D'Amico Ryans. Uh, and just on the Patriots end of it, Malik Cunningham, interesting story. So he's the former quarterback at Louisville, turned wide receiver now at the Patriots, and they put him back in last night as a quarterback in the fourth quarter. So maybe we see the dual threat aspect of Malik Cunningham active on game days. Got another slash, Cordell Stewart coming at us with Malik Cunningham. Maybe. Uh, debuts with uh, Seattle and Minnesota, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and uh, Jordan Addison made their debuts. Looked okay. Uh, Addison made a nice catch. Smith and Jigba had four or five catches. That was really it. We didn't see much of the, the starters in either game last night in that We're one. into the, the point of the preseason now where the biggest intrigue is trying to build your case for the rookie you're going to take yes. way too early in yes. your fantasy football draft. So when someone's got a big night, you're going to go back and say, hey, I saw what this guy did in preseason game number one or number two. I'm going way too early for this rookie wide receiver that that's the time of year we've entered into in the NFL schedule. Baker Mayfield's going to start for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the starters are going to be playing for Pittsburgh against him. It's a big preseason uh, chance here because it has been back and forth with Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield. Although Ira Kaufman, who's a longtime reporter for Tampa Bay, says that he has people within the building that are telling him that it is Baker Mayfield that's going to start week one on the road in Minnesota opposite Kirk Cousins on the other sideline. It's Baker's job to lose. So far, though, based on reports and those that have watched practices, it's also been a job he hasn't won outright yet. So the preseason starts will matter, and the starters post-Tom Brady are going to be in the game with Baker as they try to get him up and up and ready for this offense that hasn't really caught on yet to this point. I'm eager to see what happens here. Is it, he, he should be light years ahead of whatever Kyle Trask is doing, regardless of how long Kyle Trask has been there. I'm hoping for Tampa's sake that this is more much ado about nothing 
sort of a fake quarterback battle that uh, is being hyped up. It's not really much of a battle because if it is a battle, that's not a good sign for Baker Mayfield or this offense. And maybe he gets out there and shows us all they're okay. They're going to be okay with Baker at quarterback. But Armando Salguero said it yesterday that his big response to it was, what's going on with Baker Mayfield? Not, man, Kyle Trask looks great. It's how is Baker Mayfield not slammed the door shut on this quarterback competition? Well, we get a little bit more info now. It looks like he has. And he was best on the fly in that last drive for the Rams, off the cuff, than anything else that we saw with L.A. Coming up, Andrew Brandt. We'll ask him if he sees a college players union on the horizon. That's next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, there are plenty of questions, not many answers across college football right now. It can be said about a lot of subjects. No doubt. But certainly in college football. No doubt. Uh, NFL as well and across the sports business landscape. Andrew Brandt has plenty of answers and opinions on what could be on the horizon. You can check him out with the Business of Sports podcast, which is excellent. Also... Uh, the Sports Business League, which you can learn more about and membership available for great insights at andrew-brandt.com. Uh, great to have you back on. Hope you're doing well. Good to be with you as always. You know, there's no real football going on, but the business of football never ends. It seems like I've been busier. People sort of in my area have been busier this offseason than many others. And like like you said, both college and pro and you know, that's my background. I was an agent many years. I worked for the Packers 10 years, and now I do this. And the busy time is the offseason. You know, when the season's going, when the games are being played in all those professions I mentioned, it's kind of kicked back. You know, like then it's turned over to players and coaches and that side of the world. But sports business is really for the offseason. It's really when things happen, the contracts, the free agency, the assemblage of teams, and then the bigger issues about media and about conference realignment in college and, of course, all the, the dystopia that we've seen with running backs and contracts in the NFL. 
I want to start with college and across the landscape, if we can. Andrew Brandt with yeah. us. Um, do you foresee a college players union on the horizon? And if so, how would they get that started? How do you build that from the ground up behind the scenes? Well, I think in terms of how it would start, it's like any union starts where you have a group that wants to collectively bargain and wants to represent them as a bargaining unit. Question I have is like, who would they go to? Would it be all football players? Would it be a segment of the football population? Would it be power five football? Would it only be starters? Would it be quarterbacks and receivers treated differently? That's a big question. And then who are they bargaining with? Are they bargaining with the schools? Are they bargaining with the NCAA? Are they bargaining with the athletic department? Are they bargaining with the university president? So you can say, you, you sort of hear this, yeah, they should be employees, they should bargain. But then you're like, well, wait a minute, what about, and what about, would there be a salary cap? Would there be cuts? Would there be uh, workman's compensation? What tax treatment would everyone get? What about school part of it? If that's allowed, if that's optional? So there's more questions than answers when it comes to that. But on the broader picture, what we've seen is that it is all about the money. It is all about finding the right media partner right now in college football at the highest levels, because media is the lifeblood of all college sports. And if you can get media revenues that win over other options, that's where people are going to go. We've seen that in the past couple of weeks. And depending on who you ask, it's either doom and gloom and college football as we know it and college football is going to be dead in 10 years and all of this. Coaches will, will sort of spout that line about the sport. They don't like where it is. They don't like where it's heading. Players have a different opinion uh, on everything. Media that cover the sport seem to think everything's fine. The product is, is okay. What do you think? Just the cold business perspective of what you've seen and what could be next. Should we be afraid about the future of college football? Depends how people feel about purity and amateurism. You know, I mean, that's my simplest answer. I think if you hold on to that ideal in power five, big time college football, it's not going to be very pretty for you. This is messy right now. I mean, the, the perfect storm combination of name image likeness money and the transfer portal has created free agency without a salary cap. It's created the option for top college football players to go through a season, come to the end of it, throw their name in the portal, whether they want to leave or not. And really, then it's about what's the number, okay? So if I can go out in the portal, I can see, well, I can get this number, pick a number, half a million, a million, $700,000 from this school. Then I can go back to my school and say, can you match 700 or do better? It's total free agency with no salary cap. and. For those of us who think that college football should be more amateur, should be more about scholarships and tuition and the old days, yeah, it's not good. But if you're if you're realistic about the economics, then you've got to take a different view of it. I have a I have multiple feelings on this, guys. I do think the name on the front of the jersey is probably more important than the name on the back of the jersey. So how do you deal with that? I mean, if Michigan and Ohio State or Tennessee and Florida or Alabama and LSU are going to play a football game, how many of those 100,000 people in the stands would not come if so-and-so player wasn't playing, right? It's like, 
it's all about the brand in my case. So what I think is these players are making a ton of money off these brands that they otherwise wouldn't if they went to smaller schools. So it's really sort of a win-win for the players right now. Andrew Brandt, our guest on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Uh, to the NFL, you mentioned the running back issues yeah. that the players have had, the, the, the franchise tag, uh, the only position lower would be the kickers and punters on the tag, and there's an $8 million gap between the next positions uh, that they're comparing themselves to. Jonathan Taylor sees what's going to happen here. If he plays, likely he's receiving the tag if he plays well from the Indianapolis Colts a year from now. What do you make of the situation there? And, uh, you know, behind the scenes, of course, everything that Ursay has said and now how they're trying to also say that they want Jonathan Taylor long term. Yeah, you know, before we leave college, let's talk about that here, because I think running backs are severely disadvantaged by this college eligibility rule with the draft. It's three years, as you know. you got to be three years removed from high school compared to one year in the NBA, no, no requirement in, in baseball or hockey. So what does that mean? That means ages 18, 19, 20, they can't get paid other than NIL. So now we're looking at a real disadvantage for this specific position. For quarterbacks, offensive line, defensive line, not so much. But for this position, those are prime earning years. So by the time they get to the NFL at age 21, 22, they're under a rookie contract four years till age 26. There's a franchise tag, fifth round, a fifth year option for first rounders. Saquon Barkley's not going to see free agency for seven years, if that. And Jonathan Taylor's in the same boat. What I can't tell you, and you can't tell me, and no one listening can say this, if Jonathan Taylor is the greatest year ever, is that going to help him next year? I don't know. I don't think it will. Think about that. If he has one of the greatest running back years ever, is it going to help him get a contract next year? I don't know. It may hurt. Because with running backs and short shelf life and the shortest career in any position, productivity early in your career does not, does not equal future value. That's the scary thing about the position. How do you solve it? I don't know. I wish I had an answer. Frankly, some of these running backs have called me because they're searching for every any answer. If they could get the union not to put aside a special fund for running backs, not to have them treated differently, but if the, somehow the union could bargain down the draft eligibility rule to what the NBA has one year out, that would make a huge difference for running backs. Because then teams would be, okay, I'll give them a second contract at age 23 instead of age 26. Even that would make a huge difference. Let's stick with running back. Is yeah. there a way that Saquon Barkley can view what he did with this adjusted contract as a win for him? I mean, it depends how much he wanted to get back in camp. I, I've, I've been public about this. I, I, I see, I don't know why he did that deal. $900,000 of hard-to-earn incentives, which require him, to, the Giants, to make the playoffs. And a $2 million advance, basically. He gets the money two, two months before he was going to otherwise get it. To come to camp six weeks before he really needed to, to get his big checks starting in September. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I see why Josh Jacobs is not showing up. He's a franchise tag player. He doesn't need to show up. He'll show up when the, when the game's counting. He gets his 600000 a week. But yeah, I don't get it with Barkley. It just shows you. You know, guys, players like Daniil Hunter and Matthew Judon and Buda Baker, you know what the teams did? 
They just threw them free money for 2023 just to, to make them happy. Not incentives, right? Not incentives. They gave them real money. Now, Barkley had to sort of beg for his food with incentives. And back to my point about Taylor, if Barkley, now he needs the ball, right? Now he needs to get a lot of carries to get those incentives. So the idea of him saving himself for free agency, that's not there either. Andrew, you certainly know the, the Packers stance and the background with Rodgers there. Yeah. In New York, he takes a $35 million pay cut. What's really going on there behind the scenes other than him just volunteering to take a $35 million pay cut? Yeah, I'd like to know if there's more to the story because we were reading at least reports two weeks before that that he wanted equity. And he wanted actually a piece of the Jets. And then he takes a, a, it's a little complicated because what he had was an option deal inherited by the Jets from the Packers that moved the money actually to 2024. So the way it was structured, he was making like a million in 2023 and 107 million in 2024. Now he's making 38 million in 2023. So he actually got a $37 million pay increase, but he took a $70 million pay cut in 2024. So it's a little bit slanted to say he took a, a $35 million pay cut because that money wasn't guaranteed. You know, 50 million or so was guaranteed of that old deal. But uh, uh, he's getting great press and obviously it looks yeah. great for him. Really comes down to, is he going to play next year? I know he says all the right things, but he was in the darkness this year, pretty much <laughs> retired. So you hope he's back next year. If he's not back, then he just got $35 million before more than he was going to get without this deal. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if this deal's redone next year if he comes back, which sort of brings him back the money. But right now, yes, it's, it's quite a gesture by Aaron, who I know and like, uh, towards the Jets. So Saudi money has been a big talking point uh, with everything uh, this, this past summer. So far, yeah. the private investment fund has mostly invested in interna of international sports, tennis, golf, Formula One racing, soccer. Andrew, do you see a scenario where they start to inject their money and ownership into big American sports, football, baseball, other American-based big leagues? Yeah, first of all, I was at the Live Tour this weekend at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, and I was impressed. I mean, listen... It was well, the teams thing is cool from, in my opinion, and the music sort of gets you pumped up. Like you're, you're arriving at a running race. Like I do marathons and running races. It sort of was a, a nice way. And the, and the shotgun starts. I'm like, a lot of this stuff makes sense. You know, we talk about baseball, new rules, trying to get more fans. That makes a lot of sense. So it's clearly injected itself into golf. And I'm hearing that the future may look more live like than PGA like with golf. Could they inject into American sports? Yes. The answer is yes, but don't hold your breath for Saudi majority ownership. In other words, a sport like the NBA allows for sovereign wealth fund investment, but it's up to 30% with no individual firm having more than 20%. So it's already happened with the Washington Wizards and Capitals. There's 5% money, not from the Saudis, but from Qatari. So, so Middle Eastern money is already in there. And I would think the Saudis will invest in these sports leagues without majority control. But you know what I say, these billion, you know, the commander's going for six billion, you're going to run out of multi-billionaires, right? So you're going to have to look to institutional money, 
private equity, obviously, but even Saudi and institutional money from overseas. I think it's coming. And the thing I'll say about the the attitude towards Saudi money, I think already, guys, it's changing. Maybe incrementally, but bit by bit, the more they invest in golf, in F1, in European soccer, in the Washington Wizards, there's that desensitization uh, that the Saudis are this these terrible people. So it's working. What they're doing is working as they try to diversify from oil into a more likable area of sports. Andrew Brandt has been our guest, uh, the Sports Business Insider. You can check out the Sports Business League uh, seven-day free trial right now. Uh, more information on the site, andrew-brandt.com. Andrew Brandt 2 is how you can check out the Instagram account with great reels and more. Uh, I love the Sunday 7 lo- newsletter as well, Andrew. It's uh, always uh, my first read on Sunday morning. So keep up the great work, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, guys. Always enjoy being with you. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, Same Andrew. Great perspective there. And, yeah, how about the equity discussion about Rodgers with – the Jets. It's interesting. The one, one I haven't really thought about, but could be sort of a gentleman's agreement, handshake, that help us out now, and then we'll talk, and we'll help each other out later. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. He certainly talks like he's coming back next well, year, as to, and As to why someone would take a $35 million pay cut. Cut on the duration Willingly. of the contract, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, coming up, there are more players that have been named and charged in the sports betting probe across the state of Iowa. Doug Greenberg will join us from Front Office Sports. We'll discuss the criminal punishment, what the NCAA can or won't do, uh, plus other states not diving in. All of that and more straight ahead with Front Office Sports' Doug Greenberg here on Hot Mike with Ed and Withrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're here with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Join Chad in the chat. It's maybe thirsty, Hutton, talking about uh, moonshine and beer. It is Friday. Friday it is. Coming up, Spurrier's thoughts on Florida State to the SEC and other programs in the ACC to the SEC that makes sense for the old ball coach. Hutton, sometimes you just have to say, win in Rome. <laughs> That's what we have to say sometimes here when you do a show at a, at a, at a distillery. Got to say, win in Rome. Hey, if you're in a legal state for sports betting, I hop on, you know, make a way. They said right? win in Rome win in, in Rome. Iowa at Iowa State. That's for sure. No doubt. Uh, more players have been charged. Uh, four Iowa State football starters uh, charged in a, a betting probe uh, to add on to what is now upwards of a dozen that have been named uh, now uh, across the state of Iowa with Iowa State and Iowa specifically. Of course, Hunter Deckers, the starting quarterback, not with the team now, defending himself, uh, not from defenses, but from the charges that he faces. Uh, With more, we welcome in from front office sports, uh, Doug Greenberg. Doug, thank you for the time. And this this continues to be, you know, news that pops up every week in flash. You know, they're they're just dropping in some more names. How, How deep do you think this ultimately will go? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, great to be here with you. Um, you know, I, the one thing I'll just start by saying is uh, this is just, you know, the state of Iowa's investigation. Um, obviously, as sports betting has become legal as legalized across the country, um, it is so much a state by state thing. That was the uh, the what is it? The concept of PASPA being repealed in the first place is that states will be able to handle this um, in their own way. So. 
you know, we could see some more from Iowa coming out. Um, I don't know how many more players Iowa State can spare, considering they've already lost their quarterback and their starting running back. Um, but, you know, we might get some more from University of Iowa. There could be basketball players coming out. Um, but the one thing to keep in mind, as I say, it's a state by state thing is, you know, Iowa is just the only is just the first state to actually be pursuing this on the college level. Um, and I just wouldn't be surprised to hear that uh, more states are going to start kind of pursuing this at, at universities pretty soon, um, you know, especially now that the ball started kind of rolling in Iowa. And uh, criminally, I know you know the charges that they're facing there and the punishment that could be uh, along with all this. But, you know, if you have the state-by-state -state aspect, as you're alluding to, that could build, what does the NCAA do uh, in terms of getting out front? Or is it way too late to do that and they have to retroactively go back and enforce the updated policy that they just announced earlier this year? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky spot for the NCAA to be in. Um, you know, they, the, according to the policies that they have, um, you know, guys like Jarrell Brock, who, who just got named in the probe, uh, he could be facing a lifetime ban for betting on his own team, for betting on teams at his own university. Um, and I, I think from the NCAA's perspective, you know, that that's about all they can do. Uh, they can, they can try to enforce the rules. Um, as I said, like, they can they can launch their own investigations if they really want. But uh, I, I think this whole thing is just starting to look like a, like a sort of a black eye for the uh, for the organization. And, and certainly it's looking like a black eye for, um, you know, the uh, for the individual schools. So it's really tough to say what they're going to have to do from here on out. But, um, yeah, you know, I think it just starts on the state level. And so for the, the Iowa State running back who bet against his team, bet, bet on Texas on the money line in a game Iowa State won 30-7, to seven. I, I know in the report there's no evidence that he was point-shaving, throwing the game, any of that, watching it. What happens with the charges? Obviously, college football gets a huge black eye if there's any sort of scandal about players throwing games for betting purposes. What happens with the charges, though, if it goes from – you bet on your team or a program at your university to you bet on that and you tried to throw the game. You, you point shaved or you tried to do something that affected the integrity of the game. How does that change things? Yeah, well, you know, for starters, it was actually the defensive tackle um, okay. who, who yeah, 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 just to clarify that. Um, and yeah, you know, the uh, Iowa State ended up winning that game pretty handily. Uh, so it's so fortunately, it's not something we had to worry about in this situation. But yeah, I mean, once uh, once point shaving comes into the equation, uh, it gets a lot more serious. Um, you know, I believe that uh, the you know, we, we saw it earlier this year with Alabama baseball. Um, and that was a very serious situation with the manager. And they have taken that very seriously. Um, you know, it's it it just takes this whole thing to another level because, uh, you know, just like it just gives you an idea of how much they take integrity into account by just even if you're betting on schools at your or at on games at your own school that you're not involved in in any way, they're going to punish you pretty hard. But I think if it comes out um, that there's legitimate point shaving going on here, um, I, I think it starts to get a lot more serious. Now, that being said, the one thing that I always talk to, you know, my buddies in the in the sports betting world about is what they always say is that 
uh, legal bit betting, and this is, you know, obviously this is the industry line, but legal betting actually prevents things like point shaving from happen happening. Um, and it, it helps catch it re- easier because, you know, it's all regulated. It's all easier to catch. Um, so, you know, it's not to say that the point shaving can't happen, but I think especially as we're seeing all of these allegations coming out and it's all, you know, I was really getting the ball rolling here. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't see anyone trying to point shave. I mean, granted we saw it in Alabama, but it, you know, I, I think you would need a pretty elaborate plot to get away with that at this point. Doug Greenberg, our guest front office sports, uh, with us on hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. ESPN bet is about to be a thing, uh, later this fall. And they certainly have a massive contract with the SEC moving forward after this season. A million or a billion and a half from Penn Entertainment. How do, I mean, I guess they go about it business as usual, but at the same time, they are heavy into college athletics. And I mean, unless there is, as you wrote, unless there's a massive shift in what we're seeing, we are bound to see more of the same in terms of what is happening on college campuses, specifically in locker rooms. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is just, this is what everybody has been trying to figure out like these last five years is how do you balance this business, which is, you know, it's, it's like alcohol, it's like, uh, you know, legalizing marijuana, um, anything like that. Like these things have addictive components to them and gambling really does have an addictive component. We saw it, we saw it with Phil Mickelson this week. Um, obviously everybody knew about Phil's issues, but it was made concrete this week. Um, and, and the thing about sports betting is just that it's so easy the way that we have it right now. Um, it's an, it's an app, right. And that's, and that's kind of why I think these kids are getting caught up in it at these schools is because, you know, they can be told all, all they want. Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, don't bet on games, no matter what it is. But when there's an app, you can just download on your phone. It's, it's so easy. And, and to your point, you know, uh, this ESPN bet it's it's that's why there's a reason why we thought it was such a big deal when the story broke was because ESPN just has such an influence in the sports world as you guys know and to have that ESPN branding uh fully on top of a fully functional uh betting infrastructure you know that is going to I mean that can only amplify what we've already seen you know DraftKings and FanDuel are the leaders in the space right now and that's effectively because they had a, a huge head start um, from their days as DFS providers, but ESPN's brand is, is so strong. Um, and Penn knows what they're doing. You know, they didn't have as much success with Barstool, but, um, I, you know, ESPN could be bombarding the airwaves with their product and, and yeah, I mean, who's to say it can't get worse, right? Yeah. And the the influx of, of advertising from the big dogs across the betting world, uh, we certainly see it heavy in in the NFL now, and they did a complete 180 on their stance. How much, and you may not know, but I'm assuming with front office sports, this has been well covered. How much of the money is divvied up for college football versus NFL? It's a, a, a ton of money in the NFL. Is it similar or do programs shy away from it while networks that pay the conferences make the money and rake in the cash? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I do think that the NFL has more um, influence in the betting world. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, yeah. but 
Um, you know, that's not to say that these betting partnerships and colleges don't exist. Um, just off the top of my head, I know that the University of Colorado, notably with uh, Deion Sanders now, they they had to deal with the points bet, which is about to become defunct. Um, and it's, you know, it, so that's obviously I think the, the NFL has much more money coming in, but that's not to say that college doesn't at all. Um, which again, when, when you're, you know, it's, it's a huge conflict of interest because most betting laws are for 21 plus just the way, the same way that alcohol is for 21 plus. And I, I think that we try to shy away from, uh, advertising alcohol to college kids and, we seem to not have a problem uh, advertising uh, betting to college kids and and half of those kids are under 21. So, you know, um, it, it's it's not as prominent, but it, it's definitely there. Of the states where online sports betting is legal and they have a commission and everything else that looks into this, how nervous should athletic departments in those states be that there could be a state investigation into their program similar to what we've seen at Iowa? You know, um, they 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 could be pretty nervous. You know, as I kind of said at the beginning here, um, Iowa and Iowa State are the schools that are getting in trouble for this right now. But I am almost positive they are not the only schools across the country that have been doing things like this. As I said, we already saw it in Alabama. Um, that was a little bit different because that was point shaving. But you know, college kids at Iowa, Iowa State are not necessarily any different from kids in. Michigan and Ohio. Um, Ohio has actually even has had a couple of instances already. They've flown a little bit under the radar compared to Iowa. Um, but, you know, you look at Colorado, like I talked about, New Jersey, which has been, you know, one of the most prominent states um, when it comes to betting. And there's, you know, some prominent universities that are there. Um, you know, as I said, I, I think there could be more coming. Uh, we, I, you know, been starting to reach, I'm starting to do my own investigating into that and, and see if there and see if we can get ahead of uh, where the next uh, one is going to come from. But, you know, th there's also the possibility that Iowa is going to kind of serve as an example uh, for these other schools. And maybe we'll start to see, you know, uh, a little bit of that kind of start to slow down. Um, you know, it, they're, they're kind of being made an example of right now by their own state commission. And, and you know, maybe these other state commissions are, are thankful that uh, that I was is doing this. Doug Greenberg has been our guest for an office sports as you covered on uh, all of the uh, the business side of sports going to I mean it never ends and uh, deep dives happen on, on the regular I would highly suggest signing up at front office sports for the newsletter as well. Doug thank you as always man and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Great work. All right. All right. Yep. Thank you so much guys. Yep. Appreciate it. There's uh, Doug Greenberg. You can follow him on social at Doug Greenberg. Very uh, good. And yeah. I would be very, very nervous if yeah. I'm a big program in one of those states. You know, it's, it's also... You just hope this doesn't happen to you. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, it's just, it, I think the money is, is about the same. I think it's just funneled in a different way. You know, where the NFL has, you know, you've got the Caesars Superdome down in New Orleans, you know, on the side of the building where the Saints play. Of course, there's a team in Vegas now, and, and every individual team can negotiate their own uh, wagering deal locally if they so choose uh, for advertising dollars. But I think the difference in college is, well, the individual universities may not all be taking the cash in, but the networks that then pay those universities through the conference contract certainly are leaning into that full speed ahead. 
And I, so the money that they're getting is in part due to the advertising dollars of what we're seeing with these apps that are everywhere on game day. And it kind of goes back to the Johnny football documentary where he's saying, you know, we're looking at all these people making all this money off Johnny and we decide we're going to get a piece of the pie and we're going to yeah. do it. And that's how you justify it. I'm sure there are guys that are thinking, look at all the money coming in because of sports betting and all the money that's happening to our school. So why not us? And they justify it that way. The SEC has downplayed further expansion, saying, hey, we're at 16. We don't need different time zones. We're already a super conference. But in listening and reading Steve Spurrier's comments, I think there's more behind the scenes than just we're set at 16. Details next on Hot Mind.